Fresh is a state God wants us to stay in, not just experience from time to time. To be able to stay fresh, we must have hope. This message is the third in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Hope. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Welcome this weekend to Church of the Redeemer. We're so glad that you're here. We're involved in a series of messages that I'm very excited about. We're talking about experiencing freshness in our lives. I'm going to invite you to get, grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, as we turn our attention to God's Word. As you're doing that, we want to welcome everybody from the Frederick campus, the Gaithersburg campus, the online campus. It's such a joy to be together this weekend to study God's Word. Let's talk for a little bit about what it means to experience hope today, fresh hope in our lives. So grab your Bibles again, turn to Romans chapter 15 as we turn our attention to God's Word. Now, I believe that God has given us a word for this season. It's a very specific word, I believe, for our lives, for our journey with God, for our relationship with Him and with other people. And the word is fresh. And that word fresh really means something that is new, something that maybe comes alive again. We often talk about being refreshed by certain things coming into our lives. The opposite, obviously, of fresh is unfresh, things that are soiled and spoiled and things that seem to be deteriorating in our lives. And one of the things we must remember is that God wants to come to every one of us and bring us freshness. God is a God of freshness. Now, one of the things that is essential for you and I to stay fresh, to, to get fresh, if you will, to be refreshed and to maintain that freshness in our journey with God, our relationships with other people, is something called hope. And it's really a word that we don't talk about a lot. Oftentimes, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. But we talk a lot about faith and we talk a lot about love, but we don't usually talk a lot about hope. And so I want us to really dive in today to the idea of hope because if you get a handle on hope, I assure you there's going to be a freshness that will come to your life. I'm going to share with you three things today, three things this weekend that will help you understand what the Bible says about hope and how it revives and restores our soul. First of all, we have to understand that hope is an essential life ingredient. It is an essential life ingredient. You know, some things in life are optional and some things are essential. There are certain things that you can do without and certain things that you cannot do without. For example, oxygen. You, you'll not live very long if you don't have oxygen. It is an essential to your life. Your cells of your body begin to die if you don't have oxygen. What I want you to see is that according to the Bible, hope really is an essential. It's not an option. It is an essential. And when hope, and I'll define that for you here in a moment, when hope is restricted in a person's life, when the flow of hope is, is retarded to some degree or restricted in some degree, things within us start to die. And that's why we need hope. Hope is, we might say, the oxygen for your spirit and the oxygen for your soul. Now, let me describe what hope does for you. These are going to be on your notes, but I'm going to cover them very quickly. When you find that you have hope, first of all, you have motivation. You want to get up and get going. There are things you want to do. There's a discipline that will come to your life. Hope gives you the ability to press in and do things maybe that you wouldn't normally do. Hope gives you courage to face stuff that you wouldn't be able to face otherwise. Hope is something that strengthens you. It gives you, a, if you will, what we call guts on the inside. It's not necessarily a popular word to use, but it's that internal fortitude that keeps you moving through the most difficult circumstances of life. It'll give you the patience and the endurance to keep going, and it gives you that kind of fight on the inside. There are a lot of stories we can look at in the Bible that describe someone or people going through experiences where hope 
hope got them through. And I can't think of a better person to describe hope and the power of hope than the Old Testament character Abraham, the father of our faith. You might recall that God gave Abraham a promise. The promise was that he was going to be the father of a great nation. And of course, to be a father of a great nation, he would have to have a son. And for many, many years, God called Abraham when he was 75 years of age. And for many years, as he begins to get older and his wife gets older, nothing is happening and there's no son coming forth. And so Abraham is having to hold on to a hope. As the Bible says, it was kind of against hope. It was not the natural thing to do. But Abraham persisted with hope. Let me read for you Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Even when there was no reason for hope, notice that reason, any kind of natural reason for hope was gone. Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Notice that faith is linked there with hope. Even though at about 100 years of age, that is, he's waited now almost 25 years, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The thing that brought Abraham through those 25 years of waiting, the thing that gave him the courage, the strength, the internal fortitude, the fight to keep going, The thing that gave him the discipline and the motivation day by day was the fact that even against hope, when there was no reason to hope, what did Abraham hold on to? He held on to hope. And what I want you to see is that hope is an essential for your soul. You need to be a person of hope. God designed you to function with hope. One of the fuels of your spirit, one of the fuels of your soul that will keep you going is this thing called biblical hope. The second thing is we must understand that hope is, is more than positive thinking. In the world in which we live today, there's a lot of talk about thinking positively and approaching life positively, and I'm a big believer in positive thinking. I certainly much prefer to think positively than negatively, but you have to understand when it comes to the Bible that hope is different from optimism. Optimistic, being optimistic is a good thing. In fact, I pray that all of us are optimistic as we think about our life and our future. And optimism is something everybody needs, but it's, it's not really hope. Actually, when you study the Bible, optimism is the fruit of hope. It's not really the root of hope. If you become hopeful by your hope, there will be an optimism in your life. And so hope, as believers, we're optimistic because we have something that makes us optimistic. We are, we are optimistic because we have something that fuels expectations about our future that are good. We have something that keeps us positive, even when everything around us would uh, kind of try to bring us down or there would be no, no indication of anything that would make us feel positive around us. And so hope, again, is that thing on the inside that produces, it is the root that produces the fruit of optimism. Now, Hope really is, the biblical kind of hope is supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we we get this hope from God. And so the optimism that we have as Christians comes from the relationship we have with God and the supernatural impartation of this thing called hope. 
I want you to look now with me at the verse I mentioned a moment ago, Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. And really, this is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Roman believers. And it's a prayer really that's appropriate for us as well. But I want you to see the, the biblical truth here that is, that's found in this particular prayer. Paul prays this prayer, and we should pray it as well. I pray that God, then notice the next statement there, the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul says, what I want is I want you guys, you believers, to be filled up with hope, and there is a source of hope, and that source of hope is God. Now, anytime you need something and you desire something or it's something you really need in your life, you have to go to the source. You can't get it if you don't have a source. If you want water, there has to be a water source. If you want light, there has to be a light source. If you want resources in your life, you have to have a source from which those resources come. And the same is true in our spiritual journey, that if we are going to have hope, we have to really tap into the source of hope, and that is God. God is that source. Now, I told you I was going to define for you what biblical hope is. Let me see if I can lay it out for you in a very clear way. This is on your notes, but I want to give it to you very, very clearly so you can hopefully take this away with you for the rest of your life as something that produces and produces freshness in us and keeps us fresh in our walk. First of all, hope is the confidence of a significant and secure present and a significant and secure future. Let me say that again. Hope is the confidence. That's a key word. When you have hope, you have confidence. You have confidence, first of all, in a secure present. You know that you're secure right now in the present. But hope, biblical hope, also gives you confidence that you will also have a secure future. Think about that for a moment. If you could be totally confident right now that you are totally secure in God right in this moment, whatever you're going through right now in your life, you're still secure no matter how tough it might be or difficult it might be. And then in looking towards your future, you could also have this confidence that you have a secure future. That's an amazing place to be. And that's exactly what the Bible is talking about when it's describing to us hope and God being that source of hope. And this kind of hope is based on a variety of things. It's based on the integrity of God's character. It's because God has promised His integrity is true. It's based upon the love that God is in His nature. We have this hope because God wants us to have it because it is His, His love that imparts this hope to us. It is based upon the promises of God's Word. I'm going to talk in a few more moments about the promise of God's Word related to hope, but you can't really get a hold of hope without promise because really the idea of hope is to reach out and lay hold of something that you can't quite fully see in the moment. And that it's also based upon the covenant that God has offered us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't have time this weekend to talk about covenant, but covenant is a very big term from God's perspective. Covenant is where God sets an agreement with us. And as we put our faith in Him, He promises to do some certain things based upon a covenant. For example, in the New Testament, we celebrate the Lord's table, and that's the celebration of the covenant that Jesus established with us through His blood. It's like a deal that has been sealed. And because God has sealed a deal with you, you can be confident that right now in your present you are secure, and you can be confident that your future has been secured because you have a confident, secured relationship with God. Now, let me take you to Romans chapter 5, the first five verses. I'm going to read this from the voice paraphrase, and I want us to see how 
how when we enter into salvation, and what I mean by salvation is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we make Him the Lord of our life, we say, Jesus Christ, come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. When you and I do that, then we step into a realm of, or we might say it this way, we have access to the God who gives us hope. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Listen as I read this. Since we have been acquitted, that's our our sins have been wiped away, made right through faith, we are able to experience true and lasting peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king. Jesus leads us into a place of radical grace where we are able to celebrate the hope, notice this, of experiencing God's glory. Let me stop there for a moment. Let's go back and look at that. Jesus, that is when we have a relationship with Jesus, he leads us into a place, the Bible says here, of radical grace. That's a grace we can't figure out with our minds. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve his acceptance, but he gives it to us anyway. And so we step into this grace, and as we step in, because that grace is there by our faith in Christ, we're able to celebrate something, the Bible says here, the hope of experiencing God's glory. So what I want you to see is that when you came into relationship with Jesus Christ, When you stepped in by faith and said, Jesus Christ, be the Lord of my life, what you did is you stepped into an environment where hope is available to you. You do not have to live in despair. You do not have to live in doubt and fear and worry about your present and your future because you have stepped into a realm where there's hope, where God says, I promise you because of my covenant with you that you're going to have a secure present and a secure future. Notice verse 3. And that's not all. We also celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance, which shapes our characters. When our characters are refined, we learn that it means to hope and anticipate God's goodness. And hope will never fail to satisfy our deepest need because the Holy Spirit that was given to us has flooded our hearts with God's love. So remember this, hope is essential. You can't live without it. Just like you need oxygen in your, in your body to keep your cells alive. You need hope in your spirit and a hope in your soul to keep your spiritual cells alive. It's something everybody needs. You can't function well without it. And hope is not just having kind of an optimistic view of life. It's not just sort of thinking that things are going to go positively. Positive thinking is great, but biblical hope is much more than that. It comes out of this relationship with God. When we put our faith in Christ, we're given access to God who is the source of that hope. And of course, optimism, which is a good thing, flows out of the hope we have. It is the fruit of hope versus being the root of hope. Here's our third and final point this weekend. Very, very important And final point that I'm going to share with you because this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is where we've got to do some stuff in our lives that will help us to grab hold of this hope in a very practical way. The third thing is this, hope must be carefully guarded. Now, before we talk about hope being carefully guarded, you have to understand, again, I want to reiterate, don't don't mean to be repetitive, but it's very important that you get this. You have hope if you know Jesus. Because the Bible says of Jesus, he is the hope of glory. And so when you invited Jesus Christ into your life, hope came into you. Now, you may not always be experiencing that hope or feeling it, if you will. But the reality is when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, hope actually came into you. Why? Because Jesus came into you. And Jesus is hope. 
And so you already have. So you can't guard something you don't already have. And so we're talking about guarding something that has been given. It's already been given to you. In fact, why don't you right now just say with me, I have hope. Say it together. I have hope. Once again, I have hope. Let's say it this way. If I have Jesus, I have hope. Once again, if I have Jesus, what do you have? I have hope. Hope. So to have Jesus is to have hope. Now, that hope has to be nurtured. That hope has to, be, has to be watered and fertilized and strengthened. It's something that you have to, there's a responsibility that you and I have. We have to guard it so that it is not uh, stolen away from us by our adversary or by our circumstances. In fact, Satan loves to rob people of their hope. Why? Because if he can drop, rob you of your hope, he's robbing the oxygen of your spirit and your soul. And there's, there's sort of this death thing that occurs inside of you. And if you're going to have a fresh season in your life, and that's what we're talking about in this series, you have to have fresh hope. Your hope needs to be refreshed. Every fresh work of God in a person, every fresh work of God in a marriage, every fresh work of God in a family, every fresh work of God in a ministry always begins with the freshing or the refreshing of hope. And so if you want to have a life now that comes alive, that is refreshed, a marriage that comes alive, uh, friendships that come alive, ministry service to God that comes alive, that freshness in those areas starts with fresh hope. Let me quickly tell you another story. I'm going to ask you to look with me in just a moment at Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. It's a verse that probably many of you have memorized. But I need to give you the context of Jeremiah 29 verse 11 because it's talking about, again, this freshness of hope that needs to be guarded. After many, many years of disobeying God, the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah, uh, God told them, if you don't stop this idolatry stuff and stop turning your back against me, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to come in and conquer you and take you off to their land. Well, unfortunately, Judah did not listen to the prophets. They did not listen to the many different people that God raised up, one of those prophets being Jeremiah. And so they turned their back against God. They continued to worship idols instead of worshiping the one true God. And so finally God says, okay, that's enough. I need to teach you a lesson. And so he allowed the children of Israel or the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, to be taken by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, into Babylonian captivity. And they were going to be there for 70 years. For seven decades, they were going to be in Babylonia. Now, they are, they're going to be in Babylonian captivity. Remember, not because of what God did. God was just simply responding to their disobedience. They were there because of their sin. God allowed it to happen because they were turning their back on Him. But in the midst of them going into Babylonian captivity, God still did not want His people to lose their hope. He wanted them to guard a hope that was a part of their relationship with Him. And that is the context of Jeremiah 29 verse 11. God is speaking to a group of people who have gone in, prophetically Jeremiah is speaking to a group of people who would have gone into 70 years of captivity for their own reasons, for their own sin. They're suffering the consequences of their own behavior. But God says, even in the midst of this, I want to give you hope. Now notice that. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me aloud and loudly because you need to get these words deep in your heart. Let's read them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
Now you listen as I read that again. For I know the plans. This is God speaking. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now again, remember who he's speaking to. The context of this is that God is speaking to a group of people who are in Babylonian captivity because of their own sins. They they messed up big time. They're there because of their own mistakes. And God says, even though you're in this situation because of your own failures and your own mistakes, here's what I want. Don't let go of hope. I still have plans for you. Maybe there's some of you here this weekend. That's where you are in your life. You're looking at a bunch of mess that you've created. It's been your own fault. Maybe it's something that you've done that you you look at your life now and say, it looks like my life is falling apart. There can't be any hope for me at all. I want you to know that God comes and says, yeah, even in the midst of your mess, I still have some plans for you. And my plans are to prosper you. I don't want to harm you. God was saying to the people of Judah, I'm not out to hurt you. I'm trying to help you get back on track with me and plans to give you. Notice this word, hope. What did God want his people to, to lay hold of even in Babylonian captivity? He wanted them to lay hold hold of hope, to not let it go, to guard it, to make sure it was not robbed from them. Why? Because that would be the thing that would keep them going for seven decades while they're getting corrected for their sin so they could come back home and reestablish the worship of God in Judah. So very important. This applies to us as well. It's a promise that you can claim for your life as well. So how do we do it? Let's bring this down. As I said to the practicalities of this, how do we actually allow hope to be guarded in our life? What do we do? I'm going to share with you five ways to get hope and five ways to guard your hope. Five ways to make sure that you have fresh hope in your life. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, you need to know that your past doesn't disqualify you for a blessed present and a blessed future. I think we ought to stop for a moment and say thank you, Jesus, for that. That your past does not disqualify you for a blessed present and a blessed future. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you've done in the past. God knows. You know. But you need to understand that looking back on your past with regrets, if you continue to do that, it's going to rob hope. You're actually allowing hope to seep from your soul. Here is a good word for you this weekend. Isaiah 43 verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God says, hey, look, I'm doing something incredibly new in your life. Don't spend all of your time and energy looking back. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. You've heard this one before. Perhaps you've memorized it. Very powerful passage. Brothers and sisters. He's talking to us. I do not consider myself, Paul says, yet to have taken hold of it. Talking about the full maturity in Christ. He says, I'm not everything I want to be. But one thing I do... Notice what he says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're going to keep hope going in your life, 
you can't continue to look back. You can't continue to disqualify yourself because of something you feel like you did or happened to you years ago, last year, 20 years ago, whatever it may have been in your life. You can't let those things drag you down and hold you down because God says, I'm doing something new. The only value in looking back is to gain wisdom for your present and for your future, not to live in regret. Don't let regret rob you of your hope. Number two, know that God is with you and He's ahead of you. If you want hope in your life, you've got to know that God is with you and know that He's not just with you, but He's also ahead of you. Wherever you're going in your life, as you follow His will, He's already there before you get there. He's gone ahead of you. Now, notice that first statement. You need to know. Know. That's a key word. I like to say it this way. You need to know that you know that you know that you know. It's not just know here, but know that you know that you know that you know. It's settled inside of you that you know something, that God is with you. Think about this. Are you convinced that God is with you? When, God, when you know that God is with you, you can hold on to hope. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Jesus himself reminded us of that in Matthew chapter 28 before he went back to heaven. He said, I'm with you always to the very end of the ages. Here's the third thing. I'm talking about how to make sure you're getting hold of that hope and you're not letting it be robbed by the enemy from your soul. Third thing is let God's promises define your present. Let God's promises define your future. Don't let anything other than the promise of God define you. Because the promise will define you from God's perspective. See, often we, as I mentioned a moment ago, we disqualify ourselves. We do all kinds of things that hold ourselves back. We really are, many times, our own worst enemy. And while God's trying to give us good things and do good things in us, we're we're talking ourselves out of it. We're discouraging ourselves. We're kind of disqualifying ourselves from any blessing of God. But you've got to realize that God has a promise for you and let His promise, His Word define who you are and what He wants to do in your life. You are who God says you are. It's not who the world says you are or who some person says you are. You are who God says you are. You're His child. You belong to Him. And so you must let His promise, that is what He said about you and promised to you, define what, where you are right now in your life and where you're going. See, you're here right now. You're in this situation right now of who you are, but you're going somewhere. And so let God's promise define that. 2 Corinthians, 10, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, and He's made a bunch of them, they are yes in Christ, and so through Him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That is almost like a a blank check. God says, find some promises in my word, and when I give a promise, take hold of it. It is yes in Christ. Just simply add your amen to the promise that I have given. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, since we have these, what's the word there? Circle it, these 
promises, there it is again, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. See, when you and I grab hold of the promise of who God wants us to be, it'll cause us to leave some other things behind. We'll purify our lives and we'll become more committed to Him. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Through these, talking about these promises, he has given us his very great and precious promises. There you see it. So that through them, that is through the promises, you may participate in the divine nature. That means that through God's promises, you're going to become more godly. Through God's promises, you're going to behave more like God wants you to behave. You're going to think more like God wants you to think. You're going to have the attitudes that God wants you to have in your life. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. Okay, two more. Two more things. You're going to get the hope in your life and guard that hope. You've got to change your words to reflect your hope. Stop talking yourself out of hope. Sometimes the best thing you can do in your life is just shut your mouth. Because so often we talk ourselves out of blessings. I can't just describe how many times in my own life I've just found myself saying stuff that was opposite of what God's promise was for my life. And I was talking myself out of the very promise of God. I love to tell the story about uh, Joshua and the children of Israel when they were walking around the walls of Jericho and God told them to walk around but uh, for the first six days just to keep, uh, to keep their mouths shut. Don't say anything, just, just, just be quiet. And the reason I believe that God told them to be quiet was because he knew if they started talking, they would talk themselves out of that miracle. And finally on the seventh day as they marched around seven times, God told them to shout. And the first words they were to speak going around the walls were words of praise. And so, so often we talk ourselves out of hope. We drain our own hope by the words of our mouth. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. Read it with me. Death, come on everybody, death and life are in the power of the, what is it? The power of the, the tongue. That's what you say, your words. You're, that is, with your words, you're creating either an atmosphere of death or an atmosphere of life. And those who, the Bible says, those who love it will eat its fruit. Matthew 12, verse 37. Words are powerful. And all of us know that that's true, don't we? Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation and words can, can be your damnation. How true is that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, Living Bible. We boldly say what we believe. You ought to be saying what you believe. In fact, you do. Whatever you say is a reflection of what you believe. We boldly say what we believe, trusting God to care for us, just as a psalm writer did when he said, I believe and therefore I speak. And the final thing as we wrap up here this weekend, as we drive home this very important thing, and perhaps this is one of the most important things you can do to keep hope alive inside of your life, to stay fresh in an atmosphere, a spiritual atmosphere, an emotional atmosphere of hope, is to build hope in other people. When you put hope into somebody else, hope will pour into you. I want to say that again. When you purposefully put hope into someone else, what will happen is this, hope will flow right back into you. I love Proverbs 11, verse 25. It has to be one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. It's a great verse, so many great verses in the book of Proverbs, but this one is incredible. It says, a generous person will prosper, and here's, notice this last part of that, that verse, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, do you want freshness in your life? That's what we're talking about, right, in this series. We're talking about being fresh, being refreshed. 
If you want freshness in your life, the Bible says if you will refresh others, you will be refreshed. There's nothing greater than finding someone who's losing their hope and you begin to pour hope in them as you draw that strength and source from God and to see that as you refresh their hope, hope is refreshed in you. Luke 6, 38, same principle here. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, we could talk about giving in a lot of different realms here. And this certainly applies to all the realms of our life when it comes to giving. But it also certainly applies to what we're talking about this weekend. Giving hope to somebody else. That if you will give hope to someone else, you will find that it will be given back to you. God will pour in as you pour out. I'm going to wrap everything up in our teaching for this weekend with, a, with taking you back to, it, to the prayer that we read earlier. But I want it to be more than simply a scripture passage that we read. I want it to be a prayer that you receive in your heart and in your life. I want you today to realize that God wants to answer this prayer for you. I'm going to ask everybody together right where we are for these next couple of moments. I'm going to pray a prayer for everyone here that's taken right out of the Bible. And we have confidence that God will hear and answer this prayer because it is a prayer of Scripture. And I want to pray this prayer over you and then add a special closing of prayer to that as well as we ask God to fresh our hope, refresh our hope, and make us people who pour out hope to others. So let's bow our heads together as we pray. Paul prays this prayer in Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you, every one of you, may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray today that as we've studied this important topic of hope, you said it's one of the big three, faith, hope, and love. It's something that we need to understand. It's an essential for our lives. It's not optional. It's more than just trying to be optimistic. It's based in a relationship with you. It's something that we have to work to guard. I pray for each one today. I ask in Jesus' name that through the power of your Holy Spirit, even as we read these words from the Apostle Paul and prayed this prayer, that each one would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For that one today who feels despairing, They've been looking back on the mistakes of their life or looking at their current circumstances and losing hope. I pray that this day would be the day that, Lord, all despair would be gone and breathe new hope into each one, we ask, by the power of your name, the power of your word, and the promises you've given. We ask it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior 
my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.